We're going into the last chapter of Mark this, pardon me, the second to last chapter, chapter 15 of Mark's gospel. And I'm going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Jesus has been arrested in the garden, now dragged before uh, the Roman governor Pilate. And early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, do not answer, see how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so Pilate was amazed. A few weeks ago, I met a man in rehab, a really interesting character, uh, loaded with tattoos, uh, kind of a rough exterior. He had evil tattooed just below his lip. And uh, he told us one night in group that he never, had never believed in anything he could not see. So God was never a consideration. But this time, in recovery, he met Jesus Christ. And uh, one of his friends in rehab said, you know, you're going to have to get a tattoo no more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, was, uh, he was getting ready to be released. And, and his last evening with us, I asked, I asked him... Uh, what's home for you? And he told me his hometown. And I got excited because I have a friend who lives there. I said, oh, I've got to tell you about Dave Sweet. He, he is the pastor of the Calvary Chapel there. And he, he uh, said, Dave Sweet. He says, does that guy run around on a Harley? I said, yeah. He goes, I think I know him. Um, and uh, so I was looking forward to when they would meet. Um, this week, that hometown... Paradise, California, burned to the ground. It was one of the most devastated areas uh, in terms of human life and uh, structures. Uh, Paradise was not that big a town to begin with. So <clears throat> when one tragedy follows another, it's harder for us to recover emotionally. We're, we're dealing with this one significant loss or concern, and then up comes another. I mean, last week we were talking about the, the synagogue shootings, and now this week there were more shootings in a bar and grill that was known to be a hangout for college students. And... You know, one of the heroes, the, the sheriff who burst through the doors to uh, try to put an end to this was a casualty of this shooting. And then the fires, the fires uh, in, in roughly that same area, Malibu and Thousand Oaks, and then all the way up in, uh, in the area of uh, Paradise also. Hard on the heels of one tragedy comes another. You know, the, the danger of high surf is not only what 
one big wave can do to a person, but it's what multiple waves in a set can do to a person. Because you might get through one wave, and you're huffing and puffing from fighting uh, to get to the surface, and then you're hit by another and taken down again. You come up, and there's another right after that. And your, your body just gets worn out trying to come back to where you can gulp some air. And, uh, and I think it's the same thing when we ha just have too many tragedies in a row. Someone told me about um, four deaths that they had experienced, that, that is, family members or friends, in six months. That's a lot. That's a lot of loss. And if any one of those people is especially close, it makes the whole process much more difficult. It deepens the grief and it prolongs the grief uh, because you, you just can't deal with all of it at once. The distress that we feel over multiple tragedies or hardship reminds us that the path of our spiritual journey sometimes takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. And though that's a poetic expression that you know, we, we, we may be dear to us, we cannot minimize the realities of the pain and the suffering and the, the emotional agony that we experience when going through them, the impact that these experiences have on us. We cannot pretend that Christians just skate through unscathed uh, from the bad things that happen to us. Now, I'll admit that if God offered an escape from reality, I'd take it. Um, it's probably a miracle that I'm not using some other uh, addictive escape. But if, if, if it were there, if God said, Chuck, I'm going to allow you to walk three feet above the ground and uh, never stub your toe, uh, never hit your thumb with a hammer. I'm going to just, you know, doors will open before you get there. Butterflies will always be around your head. You know, so I, I, I'd go for it. I'd, I'd say, fine. Um, I, I take it because in the valley of the shadow of death, we crash into reality. When it comes to death, we're crashing into reality. Death is the reality that we fear and try to avoid. But God is the ultimate reality. And he is encountered in reality. You will not find God by running from reality. You will find him in reality. So even these hard realities can bring us face to face with God. This has become very important to me to know that God is always present in reality, that I don't have to transcend what I am as a human person or what is around me. He's here within it. I need to look, I need to listen. I need to be responsive and receptive. Mark has created 
a very dark chapter. And I'll point out two symbols of that darkness just to give you a feel for it. Where did they take Jesus to plant his cross? In verse 22, then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Why did they call it Skull Hill? You know, why, why did they call this place Skull? A few years ago, I, I caught this documentary, and I don't know if it's a travelogue or what, but I just remember that we were taken through this monastery, and uh, many of the monks who had lived there and died were remembered in a catacomb underneath the monastery. They were remembered by this big pile of skulls. For some reason, instead of a normal burial for the skull with their bodies, they took their skulls and they piled them up. And looking at that, the, the effect of it caught me off guard. Um, and, and I thought, my skull could end up in a place like that. Um, was it Hamlet who, who grabbed a skull off the desk and said, um, uh, alas, poor Horatio, I knew him well. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't remember the words perfectly, but he tells his, his servant who's standing by to go tell his wife to hurry up uh, because though she should paint her face an inch thick to this complexion, she must come, <laughs> referring to the skull. And, uh, and that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, uh, I don't think about my skull. Well, I didn't until... It, I lost more and more hair, but because uh, <laughs> I was banging it on things more often. But um, you know, it, it, it's no longer a person that smiles and winks and raises his eyebrows or rolls his eyes. It, you know, it's just this thing. It's 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 a digit in a pile of skulls. It's a bead on an abacus wire. You know what I mean? It's just like. We're, we're counting off the skulls, and this is just one more. And it's not me, and I'm gone. I'm, and it just, okay, so uh, skulls are eerie. They're on warning labels to symbolize death. Jesus is taken to be crucified to place of the skull. And, and Mark tells us this. He didn't need to tell us this. He could have just said Calvary. You know, that, you know, that's nicer, it seems. The other point is in verse 33, when it was noon, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So for three hours in the middle of the day, it's dark. And if I say Mark wrote a dark chapter, I mean, this explains itself, right? We don't need an explanation because we've felt this. In 1966, the Walker Brothers released a hit single, um, The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. Does that sound familiar? The moon ain't gonna rise in the skies. Tears are always clouding your eyes when you're without love. And uh, that came to me as I was reading this. It's, It's not 
for me, when you're without love, but when you're without your Christ that you followed all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem to Golgotha, and here he's, he's crucified. This song has haunted us ever since. For some reason, uh, when Frankie Valli recorded it, it didn't, didn't go big, but with the Walker Brothers, it, it did. And since then, it's been used in movies, uh, in movie trailers, in television series, even as recently as this year. Uh, the, the Hulu streaming series, Castle Rock, used it in its sixth episode. Um, uh, Cher has recorded it. The Letterman have recorded it. Uh, Neil Diamond has recorded it. Why? Because it tugs at us. Because, because it's not a great song. I mean, it's not a profound song. It's not great poetry. But it hits a, a nerve. And if you're in the right mood, you know, like you just broke up with your boyfriend or your cat died, it'll make you cry. Because you feel, of course the sun is still going to shine. It's shining right now, but it won't penetrate the broken heart. It doesn't shine on the person who's suffering loss. And the sun's not shining when Jesus is dying on the cross. Everything goes dark. And that's what Mark is is telling us. It's, It's a picture he's painting for us. It's a very dark picture. And I'm, I'm sorry for darkening your day with it, but um, misery loves company, so I'm going to go on. <laughs> have, have you ever watched a movie where uh, you're, you've gotten attached to the characters and you're, you're into it, and then somebody dies, and, and it's very, very sad, and you're saying, well, wait, you know, wait, they weren't supposed to die, and, and then... The screen goes blank and there's this pause and you, you're thinking, this better not be the end of the movie. <laughs> this has not been resolved. And the credits roll. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then you hate yourself for watching it. <laughs> I just wasted an hour and a half of my life. You know, I could have been watching a decent movie. Um, you know, movies like that, I can love the entire movie and you know, remember it and have great thoughts about it and I hate it because of the ending. Don't roll the credits yet. You know, let's, let's write a different ending to this. That's this chapter in Mark. It, Jesus is dead. He's on the cross and he's dead. The credits are rolling. Do you see that? It's like this is a real death. This is the real end to the, the life of Jesus among his disciples, to, to his ministry. And it's dark. And Mark makes it dark. This past Monday, I came to this chapter in Mark. I had been reading through Mark, and really, every chapter was fresh and alive and inspired me. Um, it's not that I was seeing things I never saw before, but I was definitely seeing things in a new way, and I was making all kinds of notes. Uh, in fact, the previous Monday, reading through Mark, I had written in my journal, at the top of the page, I am thoroughly enjoying walking with Jesus through Mark. But that's not what I felt when I was reading this chapter. I was imagining the emptiness of the disciples that that they must have felt in the pit of their stomachs. The emptiness of going back into a world without Christ, a world without Jesus. And that was the world all around them now. 
this wasn't that God-filled emptiness of Christian mysticism. This was that ultimate void, that ultimate silence of death. This was that heart-rending emptiness. Occasionally, I have a bad day. I used to have every day a bad day. But in the last few years, and especially the more I practice contemplative prayer, uh, the more that's dissipated. And really, it's when I think of where my mind was when I woke up every morning, where it is now, it's a miracle to me. Um, because it's not from medication. It's not from excellent therapy. It really is the time I spend with God just listening. For some reason, telling him all my woes didn't ever make me feel any better. It just got me more focused on my woes. But just listening, just being, and being with life and being with him, it's changed. However, rarely a day will be really, really bad. And I feel like I'm drowning in oppression. And I really do not want to live. And that's where I found myself Monday morning. Reading this chapter did not help. Reading this chapter disturbed me even more. It's not at all what I felt I needed in that moment. I don't need, I don't need this, I told myself. Um, what I wanted at that moment was a powerful, miracle-working savior who would say, I can fix this. I can heal this. And all I would have to do is release and say, oh, thank you. You know, like the leper, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. And I just wanted to hear him say, I will, and do it. I didn't need a savior who allows the world to run over him and crush him as I felt it was crushing me. I don't need a savior who, who says, oh, I'll die beside you. Because I don't want that, that death. I don't want that plunge into darkness. It dawned on me while I was in these moody, negative thoughts that my thinking was exactly like Peter's that we looked at uh, a week or two ago when Jesus said, Peter, you're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking the thoughts of any human person. And uh, it's because Peter rebuked Jesus for saying that the Messiah could die. Peter did not want that kind of Messiah, a Messiah that could die. And so Peter's mind was preoccupied with human thoughts. He, he could not open himself up to God's higher thoughts and God's higher ways. It's the same thing with a chief priest standing at the foot of Jesus' cross and they're yelling at him, uh, or, or to each other, they're joking, look, he saved others, he can't save himself. Let this Messiah come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. Joking because they're sure it's not going to happen. This is the limited human mind that cannot grasp God's higher thoughts God's higher ways. And it is a fatal mistake to think that a dying Savior is not what we need. 
It's exactly what we need. Paul said, for indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is exactly what we need. It's, it is the power. It doesn't look like power, does it? And if it's the power to die, I'm not sure I want that. And, and yet it is power through death into life. Jesus is dreadfully quiet in this chapter. So quiet that Pilate was amazed that Jesus no longer answered his questions. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very beginning, his first sermon in the synagogue in Capernaum, people were amazed at his teaching. And now Pilate is amazed at his silence when we come to the end of Jesus' ministry. I'm sure that Pilate assumed that this was the time when a man would speak up, when the innocent man would defend himself, or the, the guilty man would beg for mercy, but he wouldn't just stand there silent and let this happen. We hear Jesus' voice only three times in this chapter. The, the first is this enigmatic, you say so, or so you say. It's hard to know exactly what Jesus is saying here. Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? Well, that's what you say. He could be saying, uh, that's what you say, or that's what you say, or you said it. That's what I am. So he's either saying, well, well, you're saying that because you heard other people say that. I'm not saying that. You know, you're accusing me. I'm not saying that. If that's what I'm guilty of, I haven't said that. On the other hand, he could be saying, well, yes. You, you've, so I don't know what he's saying here. I'm not sure. It's, it's so sure. It's two words in the Greek. And it just hangs there for me. So Pilate keeps asking him questions. He doesn't answer anymore. Then from the cross, he cries out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's certainly not a, a, a lot of joy or hope or comfort we can take from that to see that he too is abandoned by God as we have felt in our dark days, in, in those oppressive times. And then the last time we hear his voice, it's a shout. Nothing articulate. It's a shout, perhaps of pain. Mark isn't specific about that either. And then it's over. The prophet Isaiah predicted this. He said, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus, was silent. Jesus gave up. I have nothing to say. I give up. He surrendered himself to the cross. He, he, he let it happen. And on Monday morning, I did not like this. Not when I felt like I was being swallowed up in darkness. Not when I felt like I was losing Jesus to silence and death. I mean, where are you anyway, Jesus? Did you rise? I, I don't want him to be silent. 
in this moment. Not, not when I'm losing my one hope in the world. You know, the one in whom I've put all my, well, where I've placed all my chips. I, I wanted to speed read through Mark chapter 15. I, I wanted to fast forward through my own situation and be out on the other side. I wanted it all to happen at once. She's <laughs> just like, you know, shed this crap and go on. I was afraid of getting stuck in that awful state because the nature of that awful state is when it moves in, it says, I'm going to be here forever. The sun ain't going to shine anymore, not for you. I was afraid I was going to get stuck in the place of the skull, stuck in a world without Jesus, stuck in a place where all the bad people win and, and all the crucifiers are in control and all the good people are targets. Perhaps in all of human history, nothing more confusing has ever occurred than what we did to Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came here to save us. But the story does not end here. The credits do not roll at the end of chapter 15. It was okay that I struggled on Monday. It was okay that I was taken to that dark place. It was okay. It's my darkness. You have your own darkness, and it may not be mental or emotional or you know, mood at all. It may be pain. It may be conflict, but we all have it. And, and it's good that I trusted my way through it. It's part of what knowing Jesus is about. The darkness is part of what knowing Jesus is about. The valley of the shadow of death lies on our, the path of our spiritual journey. Paul, in a beautiful passage in Philippians, and I know you're familiar with it, um, he admits that he's not everything God wants him to be yet, that he hasn't done all God wants him to do. And he says, I count all things to be loss, that I may know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. He says, I, I'm willing to give up my pedigree, my credentials, my accomplishments, my, my whole life up to this point, to anything that's been meaningful or valuable to me, I'm willing to give it all up just to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I like the idea of power. I'm not so keen on the idea of suffering. What is the power of Jesus' resurrection? Um, it's in another place, in Romans 6, it is the glory of his resurrection. His, his power is the glory of his resurrection, but that doesn't really help, does it? The power of Jesus' resurrection is the presence of a living person. That 
Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, is present now. And his presence with us and in us is the power of his resurrection. But we have to have the whole experience. And so it includes the fellowship of his suffering. And that sounds terrible at first. It's like, I want the first part, not the second part. But hey, I don't care who you are. Suffering is unavoidable. Especially if you're going to love deeply and intensely, then you are going to suffer. What I have discovered in suffering is that there is a fellowship, a companionship. I look at the person, now this is, this, this is not me personally, this is metaphoric. I look at the person in the chair next to me receiving the same chemotherapy and there is a camaraderie here. Or the person at the next dialysis, dialysis machine. Or, you know, the, the person in the grief group who sits across from me who's talking about their experience and exactly describing mine. There's a, a fellowship here. There's a companionship. And it's in suffering that I discover this companionship. And it is in the suffering that we experience the power of the presence. The presence of one who also knows. The presence of one who has suffered, who has passed through the darkness. And he empowers us now to hold on. It's his presence that empowers us to hold on. And he takes us over to the other side and into the light. So we hang on in the darkness because we know that he will meet us there, that he's already there in the darkness, even as he's already in the light. And he will take us there. We don't know when. We don't know how. And to guess, to, you know, to try to imagine is, is to build false expectations. We just know him and that he's faithful to himself and to his word, and he's especially faithful to us. The power of his resurrection means that the story never ends in darkness. The credits will not roll in darkness. There will be resolve because there will be resurrection. There will be light. A couple of years ago, I was reflecting on Jesus' death and resurrection. And um, in my meditation that morning, I was meditating on Luke 24:50, where it says, and Jesus led them out of Bethany and he lifted his hands and he blessed them and then he disappeared from view. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. And at that moment I thought, oh, I wish I could have heard what he said. What words did he use in his benediction when he lifted his hands and blessed them? And I realized, I cannot know those words, but I can feel the benediction. I can stand with the others and watch Jesus lift his scarred hands and I can feel his words 
as he touches me and his life enters me, and I wrote, I feel as though he is touching me, healing me. Heaven opens, and I feel the pleasure of the Father who receives me in his Son. I receive this gift from Christ. It's a gift that will carry me forward. It's an energy that will empower me. I am loved, I am accepted, and I am forever grateful. Would you stand with me, please? May the Lord God send grace to all those who have lost homes and the lives of loved ones in these fires and shootings. May the Lord God provide for them and may he let them know not only that they're being prayed for, prayed for but that he is there with them in answer to those prayers. The Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and bring us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.